this the dagger? Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizball has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! everybody welcome to the outsiders powered by the mcintosh group at remax river city i'm Bryn griffiths he's robin brownlee as always and joining us from calgary is natasha stanishevsky how you doing i'm doing awesome thank you for having me what are you doing tell everybody what you're doing now because i think this is this sounds like a lot of fun what am I doing? Well, I moved to Calgary uh, last summer and in terms of employment, which I think is what you're asking, is I just got hired on uh, by the Calgary Stampeders uh, for Stamps TV. So I'll be hosting the games. Basically, I'll kind of be reporting for the team, uh, mostly football. And then if the Flames get busy, which they might here over the next few months, I might be filling in on Flames TV as well. Let's, uh, so you and Harvey the Hound, have you met? Because Harvey is a legendary figure in that town. Well, I was at a game a few weeks ago, sitting in the stands, just watching by myself. And he came over and gave me a big bear hug and we got a little photo. So we did meet, um, but I don't know who's on the inside yet. Even though I work for the team, I figure it, eventually I'll figure that out, but I have not met the person on the inside. For, for those younger listeners, uh, by the way, who's on the inside is just as important as who is on the outside, Correct. Correct. Absolutely. How is that for a cover? <laughs> just thought we'd better say that. And if Harvey ever gets out of town, just give that tongue a yank. Yes. Well, that's what everyone said to me after. Like, why didn't you pull the tongue? And I was so ambushed by him. I totally even forgot. Like, I, that's obviously that's exactly <laughs> what I should have done, but I just didn't think about it in the moment. Before we veer off, I got to say one thing. Having worked in Calgary and Winnipeg and Edmonton, uh, Harvey is, and also worked for the, the Oilers and the Jets. So you get a chance to see mascots and, and how they work. Harvey is in the top two for my money. He and, and SJ Sharkey, I think, are pretty fantastic. And, and who's the guy in Philly? The uh, Who's the Philly guy? Uh, oh. oh, damn it. I can't Gritty. remember. It, yeah. Gritty? Yes. Gritty, right? Anyway, yes. those are those guys are, uh, if they're guys, are uh, pretty fantastic. Bryn, before, I got to veer off before you veer off. Okay. I For me, the guy is good old Homer from the Edmonton Trappers AAA yeah. because he's the only mascot I know that during a game, one of the Albuquerque Dukes players, Benny Stefano, who went to the big leagues and played, and I think is still coaching in the big leagues, there was some guy, you know, as you know, Homer would stand on the top of the dugout and do his ooga booga and, yeah, yeah. and, ha and hex the visiting players. Well, there was a guy behind uh, Homer. Stefano goes up, he strikes out. The guy says, Stefano, you suck. You suck. You're terrible. You're a, what a clown. <laughs> He heckled Benny Stefano for three innings straight. Benny thought it was Homer. Uh-oh. <laughs> Between innings, about four innings in, this is what makes it noteworthy. Benny Stefano walks across the infield, goes and pulls uh, Homer off the top of the trapper dugout and beats the crap out of him. <laughs> like, he was only making minor league money then. There had to be a loss. And I know there were two guys who played Homer. And this guy says, it was funny. I'm staring up through my Homer eyes, and here's this ball player. His teeth are bared. He's, he's like, he's laying into me, and he can't hurt me. It's like, Paka 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 against the foam rubber costume. So now he starts to laugh inside because he's nervous. This guy's trying to beat the shit out of him. And this is making Benny even crazier because now the guy who's been heckling him is is laughing at him when he's trying to beat him up. It was it, I wrote a full broadsheet page in the journal on this. It was terrific. Anyway, that's my taking it sideways. You won't have a problem with Harvey. 
Yeah, trust me, you won't have a problem with Harvey. Okay, let's let's go way, way back here. How did you get started in broadcasting? This is going to go back even before I, I knew you at CTV Edmonton, but let's, uh, let's go back to where you're from and how you get started. Sure, yeah, born and raised in Edmonton. Um, was, was an Oiler fan, was a hockey fan growing up, was an Eskimos fan. I kind of missed the first few Stanley Cups. I don't remember them that well, but certainly that one. I remember Gretzky getting traded. I remember that one in 1990 vividly when Marc Messier was the captain. So yep. I was an Oiler fan growing up. Uh, played sports in high school. And I just... I which don't know, which I high school did you go to, by the way? You got to uh, give a shout out. Louis St. Laurent. Oh, oh right Brown next to my Harry Ainley, my beloved yeah. Ainley. Okay. There you go. So in high school, I, I kind of thought, like I used to watch Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday, obviously all the time. And I thought I, I could be a reporter. I think I could, you know, ask some, some good questions. So it was kind of always in the back of my mind that it was something I wanted to try, but there weren't a lot of women doing it at the time. And I would have had to go to Nate to get a diploma and everybody in my family went to the U of A. They all had degrees, the university degrees. That was just kind of what they did. And trying to be on TV seemed like a ridiculous notion. So I kind of dropped that idea and I went to the U of A. I got a degree. I worked for a few years and was pretty miserable doing a nine to five desk job for a few years. So when I was 26, I sort of had an aha moment and I decided to go back to school. So then I went to Nate, uh, got my diploma and then moved to Saskatchewan to start my practicum there, bounced around for a few years, moved a lot, uh, ended up back in CTV in Edmonton for a few years, and then off to TSN, which was supposed to be one year to cover Jennifer Hedger's mat leave, and that turned into 10 years. So that's how it happened. As you know, broadcasters move around a lot, and a lot of it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with politics. It has to do with money and that kind of stuff. You kind of you kind of fell on the wrong side of it. I've fallen on the wrong side of that numerous times, and you bounced back pretty well. But for you, it's an opportunity. Was that the first big one of those shockers that you had to deal with? And, and you've bounced back great. It was the first time, yes. Um, I mean, I... I'd always tried to prepare myself for it because like you said, it happens in the industry all the time. Yep. Well, I knew it could happen, but I don't think you're ever really prepared for the shock that you feel when it does happen. Uh, but I think, I mean, I, I've said to people, I, always in the back of my head, I always thought I would move back to Alberta. All my family is out here. I couldn't see myself staying out in Toronto permanent, permanently anyways. So I kind of already was trying to figure out ways to get back here. So when I lost my job, that was in a way, it was sort of the push that I needed, or it just, it made it really easy to move back to Alberta when yeah. I lost my job. So, so it's been great to be back in Alberta, uh, closer to my family has been awesome. Uh, Calgary has been great and yeah, we'll see how the job goes. Hopefully, you know, sometimes it takes longer than you think to sort yourself out and, and settle things out. And people say, oh, you know, you'll land on your feet, you'll land on your feet. And I, I don't know if I've quite landed yet, but I, I feel like I'm getting there. Now, what's the connection, uh, Natasha, that uh, landed you uh, in Calgary uh, as opposed to ba back home in Edmonton? It's a great question. Everybody asks me that. And I mean, it's a simple answer is I, I always thought I would just enjoy living in Calgary. I, I moved a lot in Saskatchewan. I liked bouncing around. Actually, I liked discovering new cities. Calgary was always a pretty city to me. I wanted to be closer to the mountains. So I thought I would give it a go out here. And if things didn't work out for whatever reason, then I then maybe Edmonton would be next on my list. But there was something about here, some sort of pull that I just wanted to try moving out here first. Let's talk about the dynamics of the two cities because I've lived in both and I love both actually. And somebody who was born and bred in Edmonton and followed the Edmonton sports teams and then you get pushed in and you are happy to, uh, at least in my situation, to jump on a job at Sportsnet 960, the fan, for a year and a half hosting the Flames games. People in Calgary thought that that was a weird, weird stretch for me. And, and I kind of went, no, not really. These two cities have a lot of things in common. They also are very different in some ways. One of the biggest issues that I don't know if you're having to deal with it, I had to deal with it for the first three months was it was really tough to gain acceptance as an Edmontonian in Calgary. And then you realize that people uh, will eventually shake that off. Are you, how are you finding that part of it? Cause it's, it, that's, that's the toughest part of it for me. You know what? It's, 
everyone's been so nice. I've actually been surprised by it. You know, not that people have been nice, but you're right. I thought there would be a little bit more pushback considering I've, I've never hidden the fact that I'm from Edmonton and I'm a huge Oilers fan, but everybody at CSEC at the Flames organization has been so nice and so professional and so welcoming and I mean, it's been weird for me, for sure. Like, you know, I went on a tour of McMahon and then, of course, um, at the Saddle Dome and there's just red everywhere. And I'm like, oh, my God, this might be hard to get used to. But, yeah. But I think I will eventually. <laughs> I hope. It's been fun so far. So it's like you walk into the room and under the breath, you can hear she's from Edmonton, you know, Edmonton. and that's fine. You can live with that. You know what? The best thing about it, cause I'm from neither. I'm, I'm a Vancouver person okay. who, came, who came to the Prairie. Uh, now two really good sports cities. It, uh, to me, it doesn't matter where you're from, but I'm, I'm not from here. And this is a time in the history of the flames where they're awful good this year. The Stampeders have been good for a long time. I'm not sure what they once were, but it's a pretty dynamic set of cities to be working in. And you get that old Battle of Alberta thing mixed in there. That is a real true rivalry. You don't have to make it up. That's part of the fun too, isn't it? It's awesome. I went to the Battle of Alberta, I think it was three or four weeks ago, the 3-1 game. I don't know if you guys remember. You mean the close one, the close game. The close one. And then I missed the amazing one, which I'm still kicking myself for missing that one last week when it was 9-5 to or whatever. But the crowd was awesome. It was, it was so great. Like, obviously, there were so many Edmonton fans in the crowd, and everybody was so into it. And it wasn't a hostile crowd. Like both sides kind of respected each other, I think, which maybe it's not always like that. There's probably a fight or two in there once in a while, but it was, it was so great to be in the seats watching that game. And the fact that both teams are actually good now, which it hasn't, wasn't like that for a while, right? The battle of Alberta was a joke, but now it is fun to watch. And when both teams are going, there's so much talent on both sides and, I mean, the Flames are a likable team right now. It's hard to be mad at the Flames, right? There's a ton of talent on that side too, and just and fun hockey, high scoring, good goaltending. So it's it's great. I'm I'm excited for it. You've parachuted in, and they're having a great season right now. I think if they're not the best team in the West, they're number two. But mm-hmm. uh, tell me a little bit about the feel from the fans. You're talking to everybody around there. Is there a confidence level, or are they confident, but maybe a little concerned because? They've been let down before. To be honest with you, I haven't talked to a ton of fans yet. I've mostly, I haven't met a huge ton of people because of COVID and and that kind of stuff. So I've met obviously media folks and the people who work with the team. Um, But the sense that I get is, is pretty optimistic still. Um, Daryl has the team, I think playing in a way that everyone is pretty excited about a, a consistent way. You know, they lost the last three games. I don't think you can necessarily call it a slump. Hopefully, I mean, we'll see if they can get back on track on this road trip. Um, But I think people are pretty positive. They have a lot of the right things that you need to win in the playoffs, especially goaltending. They have a bit of veteran leadership. So I don't know. Like you say, they're the second best team. I don't know if anybody can beat Colorado, but I think there's a lot of optimism that they can at least win a couple of rounds. Now, Natasha, do you know uh, Daryl? I mean, you've done hockey for a long time on the national uh, stage, but are you, or are you just getting to know him now? Because I tell you what, if you don't know Daryl, you can you can be like, whoa, whoa what, what what's this guy about? And when you get to know him, he's completely the opposite. Well, so I actually met Daryl. I don't think he remembers this, though. I met him years ago, uh, myself and a bunch of the girls from TSN. We were at a golf trip in Prince Edward Island, and we were at a pub having a beer, and we look over, and there's Daryl Sutter at the bar. This was in the middle of the summer. Like, it was the weirdest thing. Like, what is Daryl Sutter doing here? So we kind of looked over, and I didn't know if he knew us, right? We don't know if these guys watch TSN or whatever, but he was looking at us. We were looking at him. So we eventually kind of went over and said hello. And he was perfectly nice guy. Like everybody says that there's kind of two sides to him. Right. So we had a really nice chat. And then I met him again, just two weeks ago here when they were showing me around, I met the entire coaching staff and, like you said, just like a nice regular guy asked me where I'm from, asked me about my family. We had a really nice chat and that's my only, so 
sort of interaction with him so far. I haven't had a chance to ask him questions after in post game or anything like that. And I know there's two sides to him, but I, I think he just plays the media like to a T. Like he just he knows he says he doesn't use them to get a message to his players. Come I don't on, that. right? Exactly. So <laughs> yeah, I think I think Daryl is awesome. I think whatever he says to you you can't necessarily take it personally if things go sideways in post game, but I haven't had that experience yet, (laughs) but I'm not too worried about it. Yeah. How about the football stuff coming up with the Stampeders? Are you really looking forward to that? And what what is your role going to, uh, how's it going to develop? So that will be mostly in-game hosting. So I'll be the one on the Jumbotron doing the little pre-game show and then the halftime. I think they have some interviews on the field at halftime. And then just like I said, reporting. So I'll be at practice every day, getting sound, doing interviews, uh, just lots of content for the website, uh, for Instagram, all that kind of stuff. So not looking to get you into trouble here, but you're working for the teams now. So you there, that line gets a little more blurred. Is that going to be a real challenge for you? Because it is for everybody. It was for me. That's for sure. I just had a conversation with uh, Brendan Parker, who does Flames TV, about that the other day. And he said it was tough for him. And for sure, I think it will be an adjustment for me. I haven't done a ton of, I mean, right now with the stamps, we've just done some sort of catching up interviews. We haven't had to cover any actual games or anything like that. But I'm curious to see how I respond to that. Even with, like I said, with the Flames, you know, they lost three in a row. They've lost three in a row. And automatically my head is like, you know, sound the alarm. And everybody, oh, yeah. like ask all these questions. It's like, well, no, you kind of have to play it a little bit safer, I guess. So we'll see how, how that adjustment goes. Well, I mean, the gig changes and you know who you work for and, and, and everybody should know that. I always get, I always smile when people go, that Gene Principe, he's such a homer here in Edmonton. He, he's the host. He's not a hardcore beat guy criticizing the team. So, I mean, the gig changes. What I'm interested in, Natasha, when we go to the CFL and the stamps, but your bigger view um, COVID's been a challenge. The CFL is a is a gate-driven league, not a TV-driven league as much. You need people in the stands to make a go of it. It's been a tough couple years. It's been a very tough couple years here in Edmonton. Management changes were made. The feeling was there wasn't the right kind of people that were uh, to connect with the people that pay the bills. Um, where do you think the CFL's at now? Is it, does it still need a bit of a comeback? Uh, and you know, under a guy like Ambrosi, is he the guy to get it done in your mind? Yeah, it's a great question because I, I feel nervous when I think about the CFL, especially when I think about the Edmonton crowds, cause that's what I'm used to. And I, I mean, I remember just had this conversation with my brother when I was in high school or university, I might've not been the hugest Elks fan, Eskimos fan, where I was super into like the X's and O's of the game. But I remember it was a cool thing to do still. You know, we would we'd go to the game, we'd get our beers, you know, the sun would be setting, Commonwealth would be packed. And it was just a thing that we did. Whereas now, I don't know if, if people in their 20s do that anymore or 30s. I don't think they do, right? Attendance is like way down, yeah. which when I saw that in Edmonton was really concerning because I felt like they always used to have really great crowds. So is Randy the guy? That's that's a great question. I mean, he's been at it a few years now. Obviously, there have been some huge challenges. Missing a whole season is is bad. <laughs> that's not good. Uh, they managed to get the one underway yesterday or last year with COVID, so that's been good. But there's a lot of work to be done. And I, I know people talk about selling the players, really marketing the players. And I, I don't know if that's the answer. I, I mean, that's why I'm not the commissioner. I don't have all the answers, but, but there needs to be some extra work done for sure. Well, and I certainly wouldn't put it all on, on Randy. He's the, mm-hmm. he's the overseer in his position. You know, as you know, here in Edmonton, uh, there was trouble. I mean, let's, we know what happened. It was out there long time employees, uh, you know, being cut loose. Uh, the connection with the, with the community wasn't there. Now you, we got a guy like Victor Kui in uh, taking over. He's, I mean, he's 50, but he might as well be 30 because he's very, connected with the social media putting out the instagram stuff and the twitter stuff 
I guess it's, I guess the league can only be as strong as the connection each team makes with its community. Is that the bottom line we need? I think you're right. And I think that's when I was hired with the stamps, that was sort of the conversation that we had was we need to really do a better job at selling our team to our own fans too. Whether it's like you said, even as simple as making our Instagram page or the Facebook page better or whatever. Are you doing TikTok? Are you doing TikTok? (laughs) I am. I'm on TikTok. I don't have, I don't post on TikTok. I'm just a silent observer on TikTok at the okay. moment. All right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's trying to come up with ideas to re-engage the fan base, right? And and those and those younger players. And I think every city has different challenges when it comes to that. So that's part of something that that I'll be trying to help the, the Stampeders with. Are you going to be roving the sidelines? Because there's a story. Uh, this goes back and it involves an Edmonton broadcaster named Al McCann. This goes who, when I came to CTV, was basically if he made a phone call to the newsroom, you could almost feel the whole building going. Ah, Al McCann. <laughs> Al uh, was for CTV. This had been back in the '70s. Was on the sidelines, completely forgetting that there's this horse that would run back up and down the field after every touchdown. And he got absolutely plowed over by the horse after a touchdown and went to the hospital with a concussion. So I just want you to be ready. If you're working the sidelines, don't pull an owl. Be ready and keep your head on a swivel because I don't know what the horse is. is, I don't even know the horse's name these days. Uh, But but you will. You'll have to know the name. That's a quick trigger might be the name of the horse right now. But just be aware of that. That's a good tip because I will be on the sidelines. So thank you for that. Yes, absolutely. Be ready. Uh, I want to go back a little further again here. Uh, and then I want to talk about the mug you're drinking out of, cause it's, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of caught my eye, but first things first, when you were at, uh, at Louis and you were thinking, oh, I might want to do that. Did you have any, was there anybody that was kind of mentors not maybe not the word, but somebody who maybe showed the way for you. Cause I know Lisa Miller was a, a longtime veteran at, at what was CFRN and CTV, one of the few female reporters in our city. But was there anybody that you looked at and said, I want to be like her or I want to be like him. Cause I like the job that they do. Well, <laughs> other than Robin. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I don't, I get asked this question a lot and I, I feel bad because I don't have a great answer for it. I, I didn't have, it was kind of just a blur of faces when I think about it now. And as a kid, like we didn't have, we didn't have cable for the longest time. Um, So I remember the one that kind of sticks out for me is at the time, I think Sportsnet had sort of all the divisional broadcasts. So I remember Martine, Martine Geyer, who's still there. I think she was like one of the Western gals. I remember her and then the score branched out a little bit too. And they had a lot of women, but that was kind of already when I was getting into the business. So to answer your question, I don't have any one or two specific people that I, that I really remember in in high school anyways. Teresa Hergert was another one at TSN a long time ago as well. It was one of those, uh, one of those uh, groundbreakers and somebody who led the parade and, uh, she, I, I don't know where Teresa is. I don't know what the story is there, but uh, she was she was a mainstay on TSN along along with Ken Chillaback and people from when the when things were getting started. So, but it's fun as long as you're having fun and you're enjoying it. That's kind of the main thing, isn't it? Because there's Absolutely. a lot of pressure. Yes, <laughs> lots of pressure. Yeah. What was the first year for TSN, Bren? Do you recall? Oof, boy, it's got to be. I, I remember you, you were talking about cable TV. It's, it's certainly in the 80s. I, I got to think it was probably like the early to mid 80s. I don't know if to look it up. When you mentioned Teresa, that's why I remember I was at the Kamloops Daily News um, and I did an interview with Vic Router. Oh my and goodness! That was like the, the the first year of TSN and what these big plans were and twenty four seven sports TV and it, it seemed like pie in the sky. And now here, all these years later, you wonder what you'd do if you didn't have the TSNs and the sports nets and the and the uh, access to information. In some ways. It feels like there's more opportunity out there. Yet in other ways, it's a bit of a shrinking business in terms of personnel, isn't it? 
Yeah, that's a great way to put it. It's it's like, what do we do before these national networks? But now I, it sure feels like they're shrinking a little bit. And yeah. I don't, when I get kids in school asking me, you know, should I go into broadcasting? Part of me wants to say like, no, don't do it because yeah. I don't know where they're going to work. But I always end up telling them if, if you are good, somebody will find you and somebody will hire you. Obviously, I don't want to bust anybody's dreams. And there are still jobs out there, but it does it feels like it's changing a little bit. And, but I mean, it's, it's always been a hard industry. Even when I got into it, you know, like I I didn't know I was working in, um, uh, sorry, Lloydminster and then Regina and Yorkton. And I thought, how is a job where, how is a job going to open up next? Like, how am I ever going to get to Saskatoon or Edmonton or how am I ever going to climb that ladder? And yet, Somehow there was always a job that just opened up for me. Yeah. You know, timing, luck. Like I never thought I would even get to Saskatoon and I did. And then all of a sudden someone left Edmonton and I thought, oh my God, like it's, it actually happened. So you never know as, as hard as it sometimes looks to, to be able to make it, as they say, there's, there's always a way. 1984, by the way, is when TSN launched. Okay. So I just double checked. I had time. Somebody left Edmonton. So you were able to step into that position. I'm assuming that that was either Rashog or Brian Mudrick. It was actually Ken Reed. Oh, Kenny Reed, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, another crazy guy. Another crazy uh, guy. Uh, Kenny's a good guy. guy. All the good people come from Edmonton is what I say. Now, it's funny that you should mention that because this came up when I worked in Calgary and there seemed to be a bit of angst over the fact that TSN and Sportsnet were se- seemed to always be taking people out of Edmonton. And the feeling in Calgary was, well, that's because people don't want to stay in Edmonton. However, there was a level of competitiveness here. Guys would want to beat the shit out of each other for a story and then would go for a beer afterwards. So it was interesting. In Calgary, everybody was very friendly right from the get-go, even at practices. I never felt that the level of competition, I might get in trouble. You know, Glenn Reed or somebody is going to send me a note. Uh, or Grant Pollock, but it, it just, it was a lot different. And I think you're going to really feel and notice a bit of a difference in the way the media is there as compared to here. But at the end of the day, you still got to get your job done, right? I already feel that. I noticed that for sure. I thought it was really competitive in Edmonton when I was working there for those two years, really competitive between the TV stations and the newspapers. Uh Yes, I don't. I haven't found that yet in Calgary. So that was a difference for sure. And yeah, Edmonton was was a lot of hard work. Everyone was busting their butts to get stories. Now we know a lot of people have left Edmonton uh, to go east. You've been uh, early in your career, granted, in Edmonton. You certainly you spent the bulk of it in To. Uh, now and now you're in Calgary. Uh, is there a from inside the business is there something that strikes you in terms of difference between being a reporter in Edmonton I know in Toronto on TSN you're more of a national figure so to speak but whether it's the competition or the camaraderie there's a lot that goes in to making the job the job whether you're broadcast whether you're print um, are there significant differences between the markets in terms of getting along and just doing the job? Um, I mean, there was definitely, there is definitely competition in Toronto between the national networks. Um, There's so many, there's so many different levels, I guess, like between the anchors in Toronto, would there be competition? I don't think so. When I see the, all of them out, it would, it would be fine and friendly. If you're an insider, though, let's say, I, I don't think they all get along from network to network, right? I, I know they don't. So there is still a level of competition yeah. there. Um, but I just, I, because I mostly anchored for TSN, I wasn't really in the trenches as much as I was in Edmonton. I think I probably reported a little bit more in Edmonton. So I felt it more in yeah. Edmonton than anywhere. Big right. time. Yeah. Hey, uh, let's talk about your coffee bunk for a second. Cause it's very green and starting up this, this week is, is another yeah. edition of the masters. Where'd you get that? Where'd you get that mug for from? I'm Gerald. I'm quite jealous. 
So these are the cups that they serve the beer in when you go to the Masters. So I have been there three times. I'm so lucky. I've three times? Three times as a fan. And you order your beer and they give it to you in these green cups. And at the end of it, everyone collects the green cups and you just, it's a free souvenir. So I have about 20 of these in my, uh, in my shelf because I take them all with me. So I've been three times and it is as awesome as everybody says it is. Now, were you there for one of the times you went? Were you there for a Tiger win? I was there for Tiger's comeback win. Yes. Oh, nice. Yeah. That was my third and final time. And I I vividly remember. So usually uh, I would go once we went for moving day and then another time moving day and then the final as well. And uh, we would have seats on the 16th hole. So for most of the day, you kind of just roam around and you follow whoever you want. But then uh, for the last few groups, we would settle into our seats on 16 and just watch everybody roll through. And I remember just the buzz of him, you know, walking, he'd make his, he would meet his tee shot and then he's walking around the water. And at that time it was pretty much in the bag that he was going to win and just the energy from the crowd is just incredible. And just, you know, watching him do his little stroll to the, to the green was pretty cool. Now was that final win memory fails me. Is that the one with the chip shot where the ball goes in on the last turn or was that an earlier win, Brent? That was earlier. Earlier. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Was, Very magical moment at the masters for sure. That was like a, that was like a built in Nike commercial. commercial commercial for Nike with that. You couldn't film one better than that, could you? No, it's unbelievable. <laughs> hey, we have to ask this of you because we've had a few people on who've attended the Masters and everybody I'm sure would love to do it. But we always ask everybody that first moment where you're entering the hallowed grounds. Do you remember like how excited you were? What do you remember the most? Some, I remember when I went to St. Andrews, the one thing that, that I always remember is it just seemed like a little emerald green space in the middle of this small little town and this is where the game started but at augusta that's something special at a different level too it is it is i think that is what you notice though it's like you're like it's like you're in a fairy tale like it just doesn't seem real the way everything and you see it on tv but the way everything is manicured perfectly like the green like the color looks fake the flowers are perfect the sun is shining like the birds are chirping like exactly you're just walking and it doesn't seem like you're in a real place sort of and then you know once you start moving around and the crowds are there and I love the fact they don't allow cell phones, right? You can't bring your cell phone and you get kicked out if you have it. So the fact that you don't have your phone and you're just so into the moment and you're there, you spend all day there, you know, if you're there five or six hours and you're just, I don't know, you just, it's so easy to get caught up sort of just in the experience and you don't have your phone, like I said, and you just, you kind of give yourself to the golf and that's it. I'm starting to just get all sweaty thinking about going without without a phone all day. That must have been a tough one. Was it for you? No, no. I mean, I think everyone gets the shakes for like the first half an oh, yeah. hour. And like I say, you just give yourself up to the golf. You just let it go. And then because, of course, you want to take a photo, you want to take a video, like whatever. So that's what everyone's everybody wants to do nowadays. But no, there's something about it that's great. And it kind of adds to the excitement because you can't follow the leaderboard the way you can at other tournaments, right? So you have yeah. to watch those big old rickety white ones, which also adds another level of suspense because the guy goes up there and everyone's looking and they're waiting for him to change the numbers. Yeah, so <laughs> it's great. No phones is the best idea ever in my opinion. And, and Bryn, come on, you and I are old enough. You, we go back to the days when the self, no cell phones, but when the first ones were that big gray brick. Yeah. With the Motorola. Yeah, brutal. Absolutely brutal. Hey, uh, when you look at what you've been able to cover and events that you've been able to go to, do you have one that stands out or a positive one that just will never leave you? I'm guessing that's one of them, what you just talked about, but there've got to be a few other ones that really stand out for you. Yeah, the Masters is probably number one, I would say. 
I was also working the night the Raptors won, which was wow. which was pretty cool. I I was anchoring that night, um, and I, I mean I I played basketball, so I was a basketball fan, but I wasn't a hardcore Raptors fan the way a lot of other people were. And for me, it was cool just to see the people in Toronto how happy they were to see it actually happen. And it, just think about it now that the Raptors actually won is still mind boggling. The fact that they were able to pull that off is a huge accomplishment. So that was really great. And one other moment is this one's not that amazing, but I, I drove to Chicago in my first couple of years there because I wasn't sure how long I would be in uh, Toronto. So I was trying to see as much as I could. So uh, I just drove to Chicago for a Stanley Cup final game because I had never been to one before. And I thought, I'll just kind of go. So I drove and got myself a little ticket and, and watched a game um, and just really enjoyed that. Hockey's always been my favorite love, and I've never seen a Stanley Cup one in person. So that's still on the bucket list. But it was cool just to go to, to watch the Blackhawks. Did you get to Wrigley? No. Oh, yes, I did. Yeah, I have been. Okay. Yeah, I have been there as well. All right. Did you, yeah. did you get to the Redhead Piano Bar? <laughs> The redhead. I better, better break that one down, Robin. What, what's so special about that place? I think so. That used to be Ronnie Lowe's favorite. Uh, everybody had to go there when he was the coach of the Oilers, and it was a it was a cool old fashioned piano bar. Uh, and that's all. It wasn't the hippest place or the the place to be seen if you were twenty seven years old. But it was a hell of a lot of fun, and the drinks were terrific. So you know, that's, make a note of that one. Will you? Hey, uh, before we go to one of the things that I can remember my favorite interview and I can remember my least favorite interview. Can you do that? Oh, like an interview where you went, this is either going poorly or I feel sorry for this person. Uh, Let me go first. It'll give you a split second so that you can kind of think about it. I had the privilege of working on the national coast to coast radio broadcast of the Grey Cup game. It would have been in 2002 and it was the Edmonton Eskimos against the Montreal Alouettes. And I got the Eskimo locker room post game and I had to interview Ricky Ray after they lost. It was tough. It's the toughest interview I've ever had to do mostly because I thought they were going to win at home and they did not. And Ricky was of course, perfect, but you could tell it just ripped his heart out and it really was difficult. And strangely enough for me, the the best one was I had a chance to talk to Ed Hervey after his career ended, and we veered off and talked about how he grew up in Compton. And it was one of those times where I went in prepped with all this stuff on his career, and then we just naturally had a conversation and started talking about how he survived and how he got out of Compton, how he started playing football. I never saw it coming, and it was it just kind of washed over me. Those are, that's a high and that's a low. And the other one too, unfortunately, I was broadcasting when Brad Horning uh, had his terrible accident uh, for the, with the Regina Pats in a game against the Moose Jaw Warriors. And, uh, and with, sadly, we've lost Brad here inside this last year, but I had to broadcast the 40 minutes of them trying to save his life on the ice. And it was just, uh, I'll never forget it as long as I live, but you know what? It's all part of life. This is what we go through. We go through the highs. We go through the lows. And for me, career-wise, those would be the the three that I remember the most. But it's tough. And you're still just kind of getting rolling still. you got a long way to go. Yeah, I haven't done a ton of interviews in huge moments like that. Like when I was reporting, I was always kind of a down the totem pole a little bit. So I never was sent to like those huge games necessarily. I remember... Um, why does his name escape me right now? Oh, I'm sorry. My phone just went off. That's all right. Um, the, the quarterback for the Montreal Alouettes. Anthony Calvillo. Thank you. No problem. In Edmonton, when they won um, the Great Cup, I interviewed him. Or I mean, there was a big scrum. We were asking questions, but he didn't reveal. Remember he had, was it the cancer that he didn't reveal till yes. after, after all the field? So I actually missed that whole thing so i had to run back and get close but that one kind of stands out a little bit because he could he wasn't 100 percent happy and he, i wasn't sure why and then after he revealed that sort of off the field so i kind of remember that but in terms of interviews i mean i did an event with wayne gretzky which is a bit of a, a boring answer but it's always cool to talk to wayne we you know we did like a 45 minute thing up there which which was really fun so that one stands out a little bit um but i haven't had any super heartbreaking ones good excellent i'm glad to hear that quite frankly and uh, you know what's cool uh, natasha is 
this is sort of, this is definitely a new chapter for you. Uh, you've been around, you've been in the business long enough that you're not a eyes wide open. Wow. Uh, I'm really doing this for a job. Uh, new aspect though. You're going to do some of that interviewing. You're going to do some of that reporting that you don't do on the desk. I don't know if you'll come across any of the stories that, tear your heart out hopefully nothing like that happens on the on the sidelines of a football game or whatever but you got to be excited because those stories and see I forget a lot of the scores I forget a lot of the statistics at the end of the day and I'm much older than you um well 20 years I think um it's the people and the little moments and you're due for some of those in this new chapter of your career so that's got to be exciting you're right it's the people's stories that sort of stick out and when I think about emotional moments like even anchoring on the debt you know when the when Humboldt happened just yeah. talking about that night yeah. after night I didn't interview anybody but even just talking about it at night after night was emotional when Joey Moss passed away I got really emotional on the desk which I wasn't even expecting either but I that just that moment really hit me too and you're right even when it comes to there's little things I'll see that I probably didn't before. For example, Brett Ritchie was um, injured the other day in the Flames game, and I was I was underneath watching, and so I saw him come off the ice, the part where the fans don't get to see, and you don't get to see those moments as a fan. And and he was you know taken off; he wasn't putting any weight on his leg, and you think, oh, that's that's a real person with a really with a real injury, and it, yeah. it, it changes your. Um, your view sometimes, or you forget that the players and athletes are, are real people sometimes. So that, that was interesting to see. Hey, before we let you go here, where your gold medal in volleyball, you won a provincial title. Where do you, are you keeping that gold medal somewhere? I don't know if I have the medal, but that was, that's been my uh, claim to fame when it comes to sports accomplishments in my whole life. That's probably my proudest. Although I did break a hundred in golf a couple of years ago. That was a big one. Nice. Too, but volleyball goals and breaking a hundred. Those are my two. That, that was a provincial title, Louis Saint Laurent for you. Yes. Yep. Grade 12. Finally, we won provincials when I was in grade 12. Yeah. Hey, and the other thing too, you're golfing a lot, right? Trying to. Yep. Trying to. I took it up uh, six or seven years ago. Love it. Not the greatest at it, but, but I love it. Don't so. have to be just get out there and yeah. have some fun. Hey, yeah, uh, thanks for this. Uh, we will. Can we talk to you again? Maybe sure. in the middle of the football season? Would love to. Absolutely. We need a Calgary insider. And so now we've got an Edmonton insider who's a Calgary insider. I'm not sure okay. how that's going to work out. No, it'll be great. Hey, uh, thanks for your time. This is fantastic. Thanks, guys. It was uh, it was a pleasure. I'm, I'm glad we were able to make this work. I appreciate it. So here we are. It's the spring. And hey, look who's in the studio. Brent McIntosh from the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. How you doing? I'm well. How are you, Brent? Great. It's nice to have you in here. The spring is here and things are getting busy. Spring has sprung and the market is on fire, Bryn. Absolutely incredible for single family houses anyway in Edmonton. Really? And it's just kind of flipped the switch, huh? I've never seen an increase in values this much in the last 30 days. Absolutely incredible. Edmonton's uh, growth for the single family market. And and I, I can't put a pinpoint on why but it's pretty awesome if you own a house in Edmonton. Now with the economy the way it is, and it's just kind of crazy right now with everything that's going on in the world, how is that affecting us? That's a great question. Um, do you want some time to think about I it? I do. Yeah. I, I don't know if, if, you know, it's not like Edmonton's completely insulated from everything, but yeah, you know, when we, when, if we're talking about the Russian war, for example, and, and the yeah. price of oil, that's nothing but a good thing for all of Alberta. So that's going to drive the house unfortunate prices. positive of that's a right. horrible negative. It, of, of course, uh, every time you pay more at the gas pump, it's, it's brutal as a family, but pretty good for the economy. Yeah. So how do people get, I know, how do people get involved? If they're thinking about it, now's the time to move, right? Well, definitely. If you're thinking about selling, I can't think of a better time to give us a call. We're at 780-464-0075. And either myself or one of my team members would be happy to meet with you to talk about the sale of your property. What about getting an evaluation done on their house if they're looking at selling? Yeah, that's where we'll start. Completely complimentary. No obligation. And we'll come, we'll sit down, we'll talk about the value, we'll show what's going on with the market. And we'll even give you the seller some tips on how to get the most out of their house. Perfect. So once again, how do people get a hold of you? 780-464-0075 or on the web, macintoshgroup.ca. And here you are in the sports thing. 
It's yeah. nice to have you here. Well, I, I, I love watching you guys do the sports show. Excellent. Thanks. Well, there you go. That's another episode of The Outsiders. Almost out of the way, except now we just banter and talk about what's on our plate, what's been bugging us, what we've loved over this past week or so. Where do you want to start? Hey, just before we get going on that, yeah, I'm excited about the Masters coming up this week. I always am. It's uh, one of the very few events where I actually barricade myself inside the basement in the yelling room to watch it in all of its glory. It's one of those few times where I don't ask to be uh, interrupted. Well, actually, I command it. I demand not to be interrupted during the Masters. Not a lot of sporting events where... I'll board myself up in the basement and just say, leave me alone unless there's a beverage or snacks involved. But I'm looking forward to it. And I see Tiger is a game day decision. So that's at last report when we taped Tiger might. That's another great story. I'd be very surprised because I think he's got his standards way up here. I don't know if he's quite there yet, but what do I know? I'm in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada taping this thing. But uh, if he's ready to go, I guess he feels he's ready to go. But I'm looking forward to that. Well, a, a couple things, and I'm with you, Brent, about the Masters overall. Um, I remember back in 93, starting with baseball, uh, when the affiliation changed with Edmonton and the, became the Florida Marlins after having the California Angels all those years. Yeah. Uh, yep. 93. Uh, Cam Cole and I flew into Florida. Cam was going to write a little bit about this new Florida Marlins team and how silly it was to have a a team, southernmost team in the big leagues in Florida and the northernmost AAA team in Edmonton. And then after a couple of days, it was up to him to peel off and go to Augusta to write the Masters for the, at the time, the southern chain of newspapers. Well, that turned into, I want to say, now Cam's retired, but uh, it turned into about a a 23 or 24 year run of going to the masters every year. That was his first one. Yeah. And I always thought, Oh my goodness, what a sweet gig and something (laughs) I never got to write about, but yeah, that was terrific. And, and, and few guys that I knew, uh, I don't know about you wrote golf as well as Cam Cole. It happens that I worked with him, but he, his stuff out of Augusta for all those years was just terrific to read. And there were others, uh, the tiger aspect, you know what now, Bryn, I used to, uh, you know, get into the argument about the greatest ever. And it, it, there came a time when tiger passed everybody except Jack Nicholas, right. a lot of people, uh, having had the pleasure of meeting Arnold Palmer and what a gentleman he was, it was pretty clear well before the pinnacle of his career that he'd surpassed, uh, Arnie. Yep. Um, now, it would be nice if he could do it, but you know what? After what he went through with that car wreck, um, I'm just glad he's even in a position to be able to consider playing golf again, strolling at your community golf course as opposed to yeah. That looks. So, you remember that day? I mean, t- th- oh, that yes. was. Is he going to die? Well, this uh, is coming off of Kobe, right? In Los Angeles, all of a sudden this yeah. breaking story and I'm going, oh my God, no. But I, but I, I'm completely, you know, and then we saw the pictures of him playing with his son. Yes. And both wearing the same, <laughs> little tiger and big tiger. So I still love the masters and I'm like you, I will block myself away and watch every minute I can. But f- tiger to me is, tied for my for, for my generation at least is tied to the masters like nicholas was to so many yeah uh yeah. that that tournament and, and and other great golfers before him so yeah and as i said when we were talking to natasha it's always sort of been my signal that it's the start of spring is here it's the masters oh yeah absolutely you touched on it briefly i don't think you, i don't know if you intended on doing it but you compared the three golfers and who was the greatest of them all I hate doing that. I hate I hate saying, this guy is the GOAT. I've always hated that because I just think that, okay, Arnold Palmer was responsible for even making golf popular. Yeah. He and Bob Hope, of all people, yeah. he and Bob Hope went to NBC and said, you know, this golf thing might be kind of good for television. Yep. And the two of them powered 
powered NBC to start broadcasting golf. And the so it was basically nothing more than a recreational sport for most people. And those guys kind of played professionally, but nobody was watching it. So these two guys had this monstrumental impact on the sport that can never, ever be taken away from those two guys. And it's funny because it was Bob Hope who passed away and Arnold Palmer said, you know, the guy who's responsible for the popularity of golf in North America is Bob Hope. And I went, I'm thinking, I never really thought of it like that. So you have Mm -hmm. Arnie down here. Then you have Jack who's come along and won so many, so many of the majors. And then you have Tiger coming in a different demographic. And to me, I think it's really hard to compare what these guys have done for the sport, except for one thing. They've all done remarkable and magical things for the game. Can't we just leave it at that? Why do we always have to say, this guy is the greatest? Michael Jordan, for me, yeah, okay, he might be the GOAT of the NBA, but LeBron James has been pretty good. There's, you can list off a few guys that have been pretty damn good and right there with with uh, with Michael, but I just I hate doing the comparable and the GOAT thing. Well, look at the situation right now that we're getting. I'm getting tired of the continual... Connor McDavid, and now even Leon Dreisaitl, and, and you know you've got Austin Matthews in Toronto. Who's the best of them all? And and then you take a look at Wayne Gretzky, and I'm thinking different times, different players, all wonderful, wonderful athletes. Are you not getting tired of this? I guess this is what makes sports go. Well, bit of a different look for me, Bryn. Uh, I'm with you on the cross era comparisons sure when the game is different depending on the sport the equipment might be totally different the arena of play when you're talking about golf courses um quality of the athlete is another one right these guys are in unbelievable um, shape now but for here at any given time I don't mind. You know what? Let's let, let's be honest here. Uh, fans do it. Reporters probably do it between themselves, just not as publicly because you don't want to be seen as cheering or rooting for a guy on the team you happen to cover. For me now, with what you're referring to, I'm in Edmonton. I'm not on the beat anymore, per se. But um, I don't mind comparing Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl to – Austin Matthews or Steven Stamkos or pick your guy. I'm not Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. I'm not into comparing Connor McDavid to Wayne Gretzky or to, or Austin Matthews to rocket Richard as, as a goal or Ovechkin. Sure. Um, Different. Have you seen some of the goalies when even Gretz was getting 92? I mean, no disrespect intended, but they were freaking awful with horrible, so, horrible equipment, smaller equipment. You, they, Gretzky also had to do it with guys water skiing off them. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, there's too many moving parts. So when you get 10, 15, 20 years apart, I think, Hey, it's all good fun. If it's fans, I don't bother with it. Yeah. But what I do look at now and I, you know, we, I mentioned it to you before we came back on. Um, I look at, at, you know, we look, saw Leon Dreisaitl uh, last night now, depending on when you download download this podcast. He hit 50 goals again for the second time, joining some very elite company in the with the Oilers franchise. 50 goals, 51 assists, 101 points. Uh, McDavid's at 105 points. I think I made a smart-ass remark to you. Can we please end this talk about Austin Matthews should win the Hart Trophy? It's not a homer call for me, but... Okay, hang on. Art Ross or Hart? Hart. Okay. All right. I mean, points aren't the only thing, but points are the big thing. You're not, it's very seldom you get a defenseman or a guy who's not in the sniff for the Art Ross to, to, to win the Hart these days, unless, you know, it's happened. A goaltender, a, a, def, a defenseman. Connor McDavid is the best player in the game, Generally speaking, he's the best player in the game this season. Again, I know that bores some people. I know that bores with some people in the 416. I don't want to hear about Austin Matthews anymore. Austin Matthews, 
arguably isn't as good as Leon Dreisaitl, let alone Connor McDavid. Now, if we want to talk about the greatest goal scorer, we have a conversation that involves Austin Matthews. But the best player today, the the favorite for the Hart Trophy, my goodness, it's not Austin Matthews, it's Connor McDavid, and close behind him, Leon Dreisaitl. Okay, so those would be your two picks for the Hart this year? Those would be one and two, and then there's some names wow. I could slot right, pretty close, chasing them down the down the voting path. And I tend to look at year to year. I don't really care about what you did last year, and no. uh, and for my cash this year, there's a guy south of us that first and foremost, I didn't see this coming by the, with the Calgary Flames. The Calgary Flames for me right now are either the best team or the second best team in the West. I don't right. know what's going to happen in the postseason. Anything can happen. We know right. that we know how the Stanley Cup playoffs work. Yep. But the Calgary Flames for me have had a remarkable season. And I believe that one of the major reasons why they've had a remarkable season is they've got a small little guy playing who's playing out of his skin this year. <laughs> who basically tore the Edmonton Oilers apart in the last time they matched up. This is the best game I've ever seen him play. Johnny Goodrow, for me, would be one of my guys. He'd be in my top three guys for the Hart Trophy this year. Austin Matthews is having a great season with the Toronto Maple Leafs this year. I feel he's carrying that team this year, and that's a huge factor for me when I look at the Hart. I'm not convinced right now. Well, McDavid and Leon do amazing things for the Edmonton Oilers, but those other two guys, for me, have elevated their teams much higher than I thought. The Edmonton Oilers are scrambling for a playoff position this year with those two guys at a high level. They're not dragging lines three and four up enough. So for me, I'd be looking at two other guys other than the guys in the market that we are in. So whether or not I'm right, you're wrong, remains to be seen. But that's that's how I would view it. Oh, no, you're wrong. And what about Nathan McKinnon in Colorado? They've had a great season. (laughs) There's two goalies in Florida that have been pretty sensational this year that are dragging their teams along at a higher rate. It's going to be be a tough year, man, for the heart. If it comes to – there's different ways to be uh, the most valuable. Uh, Johnny Goudreau is having a wonderful season. Contract season. I mean – I thought he, I thought it looked for a while there. Let's be honest. He might fade away. He came in with a bit of a bang. Yep. And then, yeah, first, but you know what? The main thing he does, because you and I don't know about the leadership in the room. Right. Uh, we can speculate, oh, Johnny Goudreau, what a leader. Look at how we only can go based on what they do. And they are the same types of players in this impact. What do they, how do they impact the team offensively? I cannot, uh, you know, they'll have some inspiring rushes. They'll score at key times where you go, man, that guy is clutch. However you, you know, there's different ways to score, but essentially that's the main contribution. Anything else is we guess about how they lead, how they inspire. I'm not taking a guy with 92 points over a guy with 105 points. Regardless of what they do for their team or what they mean for their team? Well, what they mean is up to interpretation. If if it's a bunch of guys who are a bunch of stiffs, if you took them out of the lineup, they'd have nothing left. I think you can take an awful long look at Edmonton, even with the additions of Evander Kane and Zach Hyman having a nice year. There's more depth and balance here than they've had in a while. Sure. You take Leon or uh, Connor out of this lineup, they're dead in the water. They're not even close. But they might be dead in the water this year, Robin, with these guys. They're 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 not a guaranteed. I think they've got to win five more games, quite frankly, and they're in. But they they're hanging in there. I think the Cal- what I'm getting at, Bryn, is I think the Calgary Flames are a better team without Johnny Goudreau than the Oilers would be without either one of those two. Take one of the two okay, out of the line. Sure. 
And to me, that's the value. What is the team? You can sort of judge what a guy brings to a team by having an educated idea about what the team would do without them. And the Oilers are, it's no cigar city again, for sure, without either one of those guys. The Flames drop down a notch. But Daryl's got some other guys there, and we've talked about him. A wonderful year from Markstrom, who's bounced back. The defensive core. The personnel Solid. is be- outside of the of the two names at the top of the marquee. The Flames are a better team. You and I have both said that. Yeah. So that doesn't diminish what Johnny's done. He's been terrific. He'd definitely be my top five. I wouldn't know. I don't know if a top three. I look at a guy like, we don't see him enough. But Jonathan Huberdo has had a real renaissance. Another guy. Well, what a year. And you do have to consider Austin Matthews. I'm not saying, hey, don't talk to me. I mean, I say talk to me more about the goal scoring. I'm not dismissing him because he's from Toronto. I don't have a Toronto thing, except that I occasionally get tired of the volume of coverage sure. we get. You might. Oh, is tonight the night he gets 50? Oh, tonight Ooh. is the night he got 50. Oh, a retrospective look back to the night he got 50. Like... Yeah, but that you know, I I don't want to penalize a guy because no, the, that's, the that's television the networks that are based in Toronto are just yeah. all gaga. I, to me, I think that that's penalizing a guy. What about the young goaltender with the New York Rangers who are having a great season as well? The only problem there is he's a goalie, and goalies usually get like they, they could win the Vesna. There's no sense for them winning the Hart. I don't know. I I think it's wide open. I think there's some great. I think whoever the top three guys are going to be are going to be well worth it. Forgive my uh, fading memory. Is, is Hashik the la- last goaltender to win the heart, by the way? I'd have to look it up, and uh, I, I, I don't have that handy. But you know what? Somebody, somebody will always drop us a note. I love that. Yeah. So um, There's a lot of players who are really important, and that's why you have, hey, if you're a Norris Trophy winner, you play more minutes for your team than anybody except the guys who stand in the blue paint. The goaltenders. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they don't win the heart, and I think they should because it's tied to numbers, rightly or wrongly. It's tied large, to numbers. A large degree of it is the numbers. And like I say, when I look at the guys who are at the top, um, the guys back east, and, and, and I've gone through the voting process, Bryn, uh, was the chapter chair here for many years when I was at the Journal in the Sun. When back in the days when you'd physically hand out the ballots as opposed to them being electronic. Yeah. I get the, and I get the number of voters in the East and I get the uproar over Austin Matthews and he's a super talented goal scorer. When I looked at the top five, Bryn, just my last pass at this, the names I have are McDavid, Dreisaitl, Huberto, Goudreau, and Austin Matthews. That's you can't my, go wrong with any of those guys. That's, that's my top five. I'd say the only particular order would be the top two. I know that's a stretch for some people. I have McDavid and Dreisaitl as the top two. And I could flip those guys. McDavid might end up with the most points, but Dreisaitl, man, I keep watching this guy. What a great story he is. Yeah. I mean, he's better than any but he if you look at the hype that mcdavid came in and that too and that's not his fault or his doing you kind of expected this now when guys fall down and don't deliver on the hype it's not their fault because they don't create the hype but we saw uh connor mcdavid coming from a mile away when he was drafted and the only thing is for him and it's a big thing is to live up to that hype Leon Dreisaitl, this kid out of PA. Well, let's, ooh, German. Oh, okay, big, oh, big kid. He, he can like set he guys up, but can he score? That's what I remember yeah. hearing. And we all said that. And, you know, this guy, if everything goes right, the Oilers could have a big center here who could be a 70-point guy. I know. And that's that's pretty good. Um, look what he's look what he's doing. Okay, let me ask you this quick. And, and just a real simple answer from you. If they don't make the postseason, does that – lesson you because you clearly like these two guys here if they don't make the postseason does that lesson maybe a vote for a heart for you i'm not a playoff or bust guy okay i never been some people are and that's fine it's a reasonable argument so okay no, no. all right 
Uh, let's tell everybody you can get a hold of us on Twitter. The handle's really simple. It's at Outsiders2020. Love hearing from you. More and more guys are dropping notes. Love it. Also, tell your friends and subscribers what our RSS feed is. And, of course, you can hear us on any of your favorite ear candy sites, Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, all sorts out there. And we're also on YouTube. And uh, Robin records from his Lucky Sam studio in southwest Edmonton. And I record right downtown, not far from Roger's Place, where, uh, by the way, hometown hockey, uh, both Ron McLean and, and Tara Sloan are here. That place is just rocking on Sunday afternoon. Uh, there's not even an Oiler game tonight, but they'll uh, be broadcasting from there as well. So anyway, not far away here at our Road 55 studio. Your support's greatly appreciated. We love it. It's fantastic. Robin, that's it for today. Yeah. All right. Talk to you next week. You sure will, pal. Storm in the castle. Road 55.